Thank you for joining us on this first episode of What Is My Podcast About? This is a podcast where we talk about different ideas and topics to find out just what our podcast is about. My name is Keith Ramsey, and I'm joined by fellow hosts, Peter Akerley. Hey! And Matthew Grace. Hello. And today's topic, we are talking about the movie Endgame. Ooh. <laughs> Recently came out, and we're going to see if this might be what our topic is about. Fingers crossed. <laughs> so we each came to the table today with different ideas what we thought the topics would be. Uh, does anyone want to talk about theirs? Uh, yeah, I, you know what? I'm just going to throw my hat into the ring, and I'm going to start off. My whole thing I want to talk about today is different character arcs and kind of expectation subversion and kind of how they've handled different characters over the whole kind of 22-movie series that the MCU has built up. Soon to be end of Phase 3. I, I just love that Spider-Man's the final movie of Phase 3 and not Endgame. Fantastic. <laughs> kind of just like a, like a little small problem to deal with there at the end. Uh, the one I was thinking of talking about today was actually the time travel and how it works within the universe. I also wanted to touch on the time travel, but uh, that doesn't come up until a little later on in the movie, so we might want to start with something a little more at the beginning. Oh, definitely. Uh, and just to get us started off, too, as well, uh, just for people that might be... Uh, you know, listen to this podcast without watching the movie, of course. Maybe uh, using it as like a guide for whether or not you should see the movie. Yeah, in which case, just throwing it out there, see the movie. Yes. Yeah, you might want to just mute every other word in this one just so you don't <laughs> get spoiled. Uh, but watch out, there are spoilers in the movie as well. Uh, but essentially, the plot of the movie is takes place kind of moments after uh, the first movie ends, Infinity War, in the two parts. Uh, starts off, we see Hawkeye and his family, and... We know this isn't going to end well Oh, for God. Starts off in a picturesque park. They're just having a perfect family picnic. Talking about mayonnaise on hot dogs, and that's what they thought they were going to be upset about that day. Well, it was funny, too, because when I was watching the movie, and that little kid's like, I want ketchup. I was like, <laughs> funny little bastard. He's going to be dead soon. Oh, he's absolutely going to be dead soon. I was so upset at that, I had a spiritual connection with that kid. It seemed like the only normal one in that <laughs> I want mayo. I want mustard. Who doesn't anyone want ketchup? I want ketchup. You're going to die. I'm sorry, but you're going to die. In fact, I'm now kind of almost <laughs> concerned that you might be the only one that dies in this family. <laughs> and then after that, we do another jump cut, and it's five uh, years. Five years? Yeah. No, the, the five-year jump doesn't happen yet, because then Tony gets saved. Oh, right, yes. Right, after this so little moment where he's teaching uh, Nebula how to play uh, table football. Table football. Uh, they get saved by Captain Marvel, brings them back, and they decide to go on one last hurrah to kill Thanos, uh, and which leads into probably one of the best anticlimactic moments of the movie, where they show up to the garden, and they just instantly beat Thanos. <laughs> no fight whatsoever. Uh, cut off his hand with the gauntlet, and then just decapitate him for extra special measures. Yeah, <laughs> like, I was expecting uh, some level of combat in this situation, but no, they just straight up kill him. To be fair, we do get that combat later, which... I'll talk about with my whole character arcs because it's wonky but great at the same time. But yeah, it's just like quick little boop, heads off. We're done now and the world's over and nothing we can do about it. Yeah, they find out the stones are destroyed so they can't fix any of the problems that were made. And then five-year time jump. That's where we get into the part of the movie where some interesting stuff starts happening and the universe is essentially saved by a rat. Yep, little rat steps on a button and poof, we have a solution to the lack of... Uh, Infinity Stones. Yep, and from that point, essentially, Ant-Man goes finds the rest of the uh, Avengers, gives them his idea of a time heist, which he then has to build the time machine for with the rest of them. My favorite part about this, though, is they don't actually say the words time heist until Tony Stark is involved. It's just Ant-Man explaining his idea to people off-screen, and then Tony Stark's like, just don't say it. And Ant-Man goes, time heist! And <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> and then from that, we just kind of have a trip of the greatest hits in Dark World, I guess, 
<laughs> where yeah. they travel through time, gathering the stones, and then having the plan of using that to fix reality, and then go back. Things don't go quite as planned, because after they do unsnap everyone, Thanos comes back through time, and then big fight at the Avengers base that <laughs> ends in uh, quite the climactic of endings. And then we get the bittersweet ending where it shows kind of most people where they're at now. Yeah, I get kind of to wrap up a lot of the different characters' uh, stories. A lot of the characters who, let's be honest, the actors were not coming back for more movies. Oh yeah, we knew uh, most of them, their contracts were coming up. And what do you know, the characters who didn't have their contracts finishing up are the ones still around. Yep. Alright, so let's just jump in and talk about a couple different characters and how their kind of story arcs were handled maybe great, maybe less great. First of all, I'm just going to throw it out there. Thor gets fat, and that's just a whole thing for him. Is We go through the first of his movies with uh, Thor 1, and it's all about this kind of god who's been knocked back down to kind of human status and him becoming worthy of being a god again. Thor 2 is just a train wreck, and we're just going to skip right past its port. I mean, it has some good points, but it's uh, definitely an outlier in the movies. There there has to be bottom-of-the-barrel movies out of that many. Yeah. Uh, but then we get to Ragnarok, and it's kind of, once again, Thor gets knocked down a peg or two upon meeting his sister, and him once again realizing, wait, I'm a god, I can do this, and then we get to Endgame, or we get to Infinity War, technically, and he loses, he doesn't win, gets to Endgame, the very beginning of Endgame, loses again, doesn't win, and apparently this just breaks Thor, and he gets fat, and it's just... It's such a wonky character arc to me because it's like a weird sine wave where it's just up and down and up and down and you want it to have a nice strong curve where it's him growing and falling all in one and not just... You see, the beautiful thing about that one that I found was this is probably the most well-kept secret about the movie itself. I don't think anyone was expecting Fat Thor to be like the big twist that no one saw coming. Because we all had like, everyone's like, okay, it's going to be Cap or Tony that dies. This is probably going to be through time travel. They're going to go back to old movies and do something to get everything in place. No one was calling Fat Thor in any part of the conversation. No. Also, Asgard. New Asgard. A fishing village. Like. <laughs> So did the Asgardians just give up on their old way of life to become fishermen on the coast? This lost all of their technology and desire to do anything. I mean, at this point, there's what? Half of half of the Asgardians left alive? Yeah, because Thanos wipes out half of them and then snaps and wipes out another half. And we're down to like a quarter of the original group. And it's clearly the quarter that was originally in charge of harvesting fish. Yeah, just fishermen, Valkyrie, and Thor. That's what's left of the Asgardians. And to be fair, they're one king is kind of a broken man at this point, so they don't really have a leader, so what are they supposed to do? Their broken king's greatest enemy in life now is Noob Master 69, which, <laughs> that I loved. I loved a god of thunder threatening a small child across video chat, or across game chat while playing, I have no idea what game they were playing. It was playing. Fortnite. It was Fortnite, of course, it's, <laughs> of course it was Fortnite. Well, it was a time where they had the uh, end game uh, tie-in in the game itself, and they, apparently this wasn't even, like, bought to put in it, they just decided to put it into the movie as a nod to it. But the other beautiful thing about Thor in this as well is the fact that up to this point, his motivations have also been kind of noble going into certain things. So he's always like, I have to, this is my thing. But at the beginning of this movie, he didn't want anything to do with, like, Thanos says he should not be named in this house. Yeah. And it wasn't even, oh, we have a way that we can go back, save everyone, and get rid of Thanos. It was, we have beer in the ship. Yeah, that's how they got <laughs> Thor on board with the plan. It just, they 
I love Thor. He was super badass going into this. So many people loved him after Ragnarok because they got that movie so right. And then in this one, it's just, he's like a guy now. He's not even a god anymore. He's just like a guy. <laughs> so I call him the dude. <laughs> so I call him the dude. In fact, a couple people refer to him as Lebowski. So a lot of people call him the dude. I mean, they make the joke outright. Then he's wearing the sweater and putting the eye drops. And it's like, oh man, I see exactly where they're going with this one. Yeah. He has the breakdown while talking about the events of uh, the Dark World. So another character, Eric that I loved but also just felt the slightest bit wonky to me again was Thanos. Before we kind of start off any of the movies where Thanos is directly involved, he's just kind of sitting back in the shadows, slightly moving things into places where he can get the Infinity Stones. Saying in a oppressive, intimidating line to a henchman just to get the point across that he's some villain. To Grinning into the camera with his omnipresence. Yeah, of course. And then Asgard gets wiped out by Ragnarok, which it's kind of accepted that's the whole reason that he felt safe actually going for the Infinity Stones at that point, because no one was pr protecting the whole Dwarven Forge that's name I cannot pronounce, and I apologize ahead of time for the <laughs> fact that I can't pronounce it. So he starts going for it, he gets the Infinity Stones, and has like an equal fight with a couple different people. He fights one-on-one -on -one with Tony Stark, it's a roughly even fight. He fights one-on-one -on -one with Doctor Strange. It's a roughly even fight. Cut to endgame. No Infinity Stones. Kicks the shit out of Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man all at once. And it's just like, I understand he's more determined about his goals now. But he got way more powerful after not having any of the Infinity Stones in this current timeline. I mean, this could also be linked to something along the lines of maybe the armor itself. Gave him a buff that he, you know, through the course of him gathering the stones in Infinity War, he didn't need it anymore. Because he was able to take a lot more damage, that's 100% sure. And that could be the armor due to it and the fact that he was still learning how to use the stones properly in Infinity War. But at the same time, there definitely was a few things that were got a bit weird. The only time, and to be fair with the fact, when he was going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Captain Marvel, he had the gauntlet at this point, too. <laughs> that's true. But the thing is, like, to highlight how strong she was, she went toe-to-toe -to -toe with him with the full Infinity Gauntlet, and the only re like, he took, she took like five, six punches to the face, didn't flinch once, it took him pulling out the Power Stone and using that specifically to blast her back. Yeah. Speaking on uh, Captain Marvel, I didn't see the Captain Marvel movie at all, so when she showed up, I was expecting her to show up, but again, I had no idea what she was capable of. She first shows up, saving Tony Stark, bringing him on his ship with Nebula back to Earth. I'm like, alright. That's a decent way to uh, introduce this apparently powerful character. And then what does she do? She just pieces from the movie and has no part until the end of the movie where she, what, breaks a ship? There, there was no point to that. When uh, Doctor Strange came into the scene bringing in the armies of their allies, that could have been used also to break the ship. Captain Marvel served no purpose in that movie, aside from bringing Tony Stark home. Yeah, and it's kind of weird too, because they made a point of saying that they want to put the Captain Marvel specifically between both of them, because they wanted to introduce her before the second part, because she's going to play a big part. And where you can't say she did play a big part, and nothing against the actor or the character itself, actually, Captain Marvel's one of my favorite characters in the I universe. I love the character. She did seem kind of pointless in this one. Yeah. Now, mind you, them getting bombarded from space was a big thing, and her coming in and at the last minute and swooping through did help. Oh, yeah, and, and it, then, was, it was a cool scene, nonetheless. Oh, yeah. And they did explain kind of well why she wasn't on Earth for a lot of stuff, even going backwards. Like, yeah, Earth has the Avengers, but no other planets kind of really have anything. But I was expecting her to join them in, like, you know, the friendly romp through time. Also, now that you've said it, can we talk about the statistical unlikelihood of Earth having, like, dozens of superheroes and not a single one existing anywhere else in the life-filled universe that there is? <laughs> We got dozens on this one planet, and then one superhero to watch over the rest of space. And most of those dozens are all singular in New York. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, that, to be fair, that just goes back to the original comic coming out, not so much as them planning poorly in the movies. Yeah. So, one last superhero I want to talk about is the Hulk. Because I actually love his character arc, and I think it was handled super well. Even if the Professor, while one of my favorite Hulk characters, is iffy at best in the movie with how much of an impact he has... I love the character arc of, in the first Avengers, we see the Hulk, and his whole deal is that he doesn't want to use the Hulk, he wants to exist as Bruce Banner, and he kind of has to come to terms with the fact that the Hulk is an important part of who he is. Cut to Thor Ragnarok, Hulk's just taken over his whole identity. He now has to deal with the fact that he never wants to go back to being Hulk again, because the last time he did, he was there for years, and that's terrifying and to him. he had no way to turn back. And it was he, entirely Hulk's it control. It was entirely in Hulk's control. Then we go to Infinity War. Hulk gets the shit kicked out of him by <laughs> Thanos. So badly that even Hulk, doesn't the wanna... Hulk, has an existential crisis. So the Hulk doesn't want to come back out. And Bruce Banner is now completely switched sides. He recognizes the inherent value that the Hulk has... And he wants the Hulk to come out, and the Hulk wants no part in coming out. And so now they've switched sides. Instead, in the original movies, it was both of them wanted to be in control and didn't want the other one to be in control. And now, in Infinity War, both of them want the other one to be in control, because they'd be better suited to this situation, or one of them's just a coward. I'm talking about the Hulk in this moment. <laughs> Um, but then we get to Endgame, and after the five-year break, because it's not handled uh, at the beginning, they've actually kind of had a bit of a symbiosis, and I, it's played a lot for laughs in the way that the Professor, which is the name for the Hulk Banner mix character, the way he acts in comparison to his younger Hulk counterparts during the time-traveling bits, but also it's a great character arc because it actually ends with this kind of huge dichotomy between these two characters who share one body, learning how to actually share that body and kind of work in unison. And it's a cool thing, too, because uh, back in the first Avengers, there's even a call to kind of what happens down now. It's hard to say that they planned it out that far in advance, because definitely it was a gamble leading up to Avengers. They didn't know if it was going to work, and a lot of the company, Marvel, was running uh, on the line for this one if it didn't work. But the fact that there's a scene where Tony and Bruce Banner are talking when they're studying the Scepter, and Tony explains to him that maybe the Hulk saved him, and that's like the thing. Maybe there's a purpose for it. And then what we find out in uh, the end of Endgame is Bruce picks up the gauntlet knowing he's the one to use it, because they mentioned before in the movies that these put off gamma radiation, and he says, it's almost like I was built to do this. Yeah. Calling back to that scene earlier where he's now Professor Hulk, and his purpose is to use his mini gauntlet yeah. to unsnap everyone that was called to back in the first Avengers. Yeah, it's what his purpose has been since the beginning. Just to withstand the gamma radiation produced by these Infinity Stones from the snap. He is the He's sole the, person, I guess, who you'd expect to actually survive it. He's the sole non-Thanos character who could actually survive the snap. And it messed him up. Oh, definitely. His oh, arm yeah. was all out of commission. And he could barely hold up the, the base, too, when it was falling on yeah, him, Rhodey, and Raccoon. Yeah. Uh, another cool thing that I liked about how they did the Hulk, too, was they. I like that they leaned more towards Bruce Banner, too, with it. And... He's obviously a more popular and famous person as Professor Hulk in this universe. Oh, and I yeah. love the fact that when he's interacting with the kids, he's clearly a very, like, he, yeah. he's out of touch and very goofy. He dabs for the kids. He's yeah, like, dab, dab. I just lost it laughing in the theater watch. It's like, yeah, that, that's what would happen to someone like Bruce Banner, who automatically gets popular and thinks, oh, I know what's popular. I can connect with the kids. I, and also he has the confidence in himself from the added strength that the Hulk is giving him. I just, so there was talk before the movies came out that the Russo brothers only gave the trailer companies two minutes of clips from the actual movie 
to build trailers around because they didn't want to spoil anything. I so wish Dabbing Hulk had have been involved in the trailers because <laughs> so many more people would have wanted to see it, like, just to see what causes Hulk to dab. None of the context of that scene of, like, Hulk talking and you realize Banner's involved, just, like, a short clip of Hulk just dabbing. Could you imagine a scene to the equivalent of when Civil War came out and after, like, the trailer ended, it was, like, the symbol of, like, it was Spider-Man? If it was just, like, this whole Avengers thing where it's very drab, and then, like, the, the Avengers logo reconnects, and all of a sudden it cuts to a scene of just all going, Damn! <laughs> oh, that would be spectacular. Oh, uh, man, I, I would have... I would have been confused, but very intrigued at the same time. Probably could have been the best trailer ever. Speaking of kind of post-credit moments, do you want to kind of dive in and talk about the short little clip? Well, not clip, the audio clip that they had at the end of Endgame? Yeah, let's talk about the uh, part at the end of Endgame, uh, the sound, audio cue, uh, as well as like so what people were expecting, how it was a bit different from things. Yeah. See, so for those of you who haven't seen Endgame and have made it this far into the podcast and decided, you know what, I'm going to keep watching because... These are delightful people who I want to be friends with. Uh, I assume that's why you're still watching. Or listening? You could go either way at this point. Absolutely. So, at the end of Endgame, while most of the Marvel movies in the cinematic universe so far have ended with a post-credit scene where they show you some kind of hint as to what's coming, this one instead just ended with an audio sound of a hammer hitting what sounds like an anvil of some sorts. Uh, and for those eagle-eared listeners in the audience... <laughs> Recognize it as the exact sound from the first movie in the MCU, Iron Man 1, back when Tony is forging the first of the Iron Man suits in that cave in the middle of somewhere. <laughs> I don't know where it is. A nondescript uh, country in the Middle East. Nondescript Middle East country where he's been taken by terrorists and he's forging the Iron Man suit so that he can escape. And that's the sound. So instead of hinting towards where they're going with phase four of the MCU... They're instead hearkening back to where they've come from with the very first movie yeah, and what started it all. It was a nod back, giving like closure to the character. At the same time, we don't really know if it's alluding to anything as well. It could be something symbolizing the fact that, you know, maybe the idea of what Iron Man is is still alive out there. Could be someone forging something new. Maybe alluding to a new Iron Man character. There's other ones in the universe. Iron yeah. Lad, Iron Heart. And we even saw in the movie that Pepper Potts now has her own suit. Yeah, yeah maybe... she's got her rescue suit. There's a couple characters who could really take up the Iron Man mantle at this point. Because there's, there's Pepper Potts with her Iron Man suit uh, going as rescue. And the there... first scene that we see Tony Stark with his new child. Yeah. His child pulls out the helmet. She's wearing a helmet and the glove from one of the Iron Man suits. She happened to find in the garage that she likes to spend time in, like Tony Stark did. Also, the small boy from Iron Man 3, who Tony gets a watch from uh, in his farmhouse, barn? Yeah, his little barn garage shed. That was a Harley Keener, uh, the character. And then he also shows up at Tony's funeral at the end. Yeah. And bringing a character back like that, yeah, it kind of like closes off an arc, but... I feel like it also they could be. They don't do nothing for the sake of just having it there a lot too. There's usually plans, whether they're going to use it or not, is not necessary. But I feel like they're trying to set him up for something in the universe. He yeah. could easily be take up the Iron Man mantle because Pepper Potts. I feel like as a character, I can't see her actually taking up the Iron Man mantle or the rescue mantle. I feel like this was more of a one-time thing because of the stakes of the situation. Oh, definitely. I feel like it's much more likely that either the young boy who made friends with Tony or Tony's own daughter are more likely to take up the Iron Man mantle. And I feel like, given the age situation, it's less likely to be the four-year-old girl and more likely to be the teenage boy covers it for a while until Tony's daughter is old enough to take up the mantle for herself. Of course. If this universe is still going in 10 to 15 years, I can definitely see them... Playing on that to have her re 
take the Iron Man mantle. And on top of that, too, Tony's died in the comics as well. And do you think this is really going to be the end of Robert Downey Jr. in this universe? Are they really not going to use him anymore? In the comics, he's come back as a hologram. That's uh, even like the hologram head inside the Iron Man suit. I feel like they could do something like that, maybe even moving forward with the Avengers or even with Spider-Man. Maybe he's an AI or something that's, you know, kind of guiding him. Also, when you look at when Tony Stark went back in time with Captain America and Tony met his father, Tony's father at the time was Jarvis. Tony's first AI was also Jarvis. No, Tony's father was Howard. Jarvis was the butler. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's what I meant. Uh, and on top of that, even though the end credit scene didn't have anything alluding to the future, there definitely was a few things hinting at what's coming in the future as well. Oh, absolutely. Like the earthquake off uh, of Wakanda. Uh, definitely Just an earthquake. Yeah. Just an earthquake. Just an earthquake. I feel it's definitely could be a hint towards Namor being in the universe. And there's been rumors going around about Namor as well. Of course, with Namor, they didn't have the rights to it at the time, but they can go back into that now. Yeah, and they've... Well, and they've, Disney's done its Disney thing, and now they pretty much have the rights to anything they want to put in yep. the MCU. And they've proven that they can make money with the with Marvel. Yeah. And at the same time, like it does open up some ideas too of like things coming in, uh, specifically for the end credit scene. Even though I would hate for Deadpool to be in the Marvel universe, I feel like he ruins it. Part of me was expecting just to see Deadpool at the end of the credits, just clapping. Yeah, I uh, love Deadpool as a character. I hate the idea of him being in the MCU because it's just a completely different tone. Yeah, he would be completely out of left field. Yeah, it's hard, kind of hard to take some of the stakes when he's aware that he's in a movie and stuff like that. Yeah, I would love it if they did the opposite thing and in future Deadpool movies they pulled characters from the MCU and grounded the MCU in his universe rather than doing the opposite and pulling him into the MCU. Oh, of course. And, uh... A lot of the characters that we saw go away as well. We might not be even seeing the end of them as well. Uh, Cap is gone in this one. Iron Man's gone. Black Widow. Vision's gone. But we also know that there's the Disney Plus uh, episodes that are coming. So we know that WandaVision's on the horizon, which we don't know if it's going to be maybe that in-between gap between Civil War to Infinity War where they're traveling around. Or maybe it could be the resurrection of Vision in some capacity. In the comics, we know Wanda has reality-altering powers. Maybe they're going to build her up to that in the comics, uh, not the comics, the movies as well. Yeah. And it could be her recreating Vision, and then we'll get the Grey Vision, which is the one that doesn't have the emotion but all the power. And it could be, the series could be just her bringing him back to reality in the sense that he was, him growing yeah. back into his person. Starts off with her creating Grey Vision, and then the rest of the series is her trying to turn Grey Vision into proper Vision. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, we also know that there's going to be, of course, the Falcon and Winter Soldier series. Uh, the Bucky Sam series? Yep. Uh, and uh, there's been hints that there's going to be a What If series that they're going to be working on, which uh, I feel ties into the time travel that they've introduced in the series as well. Because uh, we do know, <clears throat> at the end of the movie, Cap goes back in time, lives out his life with Peggy Carter. Uh, at the same time, a few other characters are up in the air for what happened to them. We get uh, the alternate timeline Gamora now in the modern timeline, and we also get uh, a possibility of Loki being out there somewhere. So, now that we've kind of broached the time topic, should we kind of switch to talking about time travel as you guys yeah. wanted to talk about here? Yeah, we may as well get it out of the way, the convoluted subject. Uh, I do is. have a couple points I want to throw in, but yes. Now, the one thing I, I was really excited to talk about with time travel is... For how time travel works in this movie, the only thing I could think of was Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, they nailed the Dragon Ball Z timeline concept, where when you go back in time, it doesn't actually change anything. It's still your past that happened. Yeah, so it's uh, new. now your past, nothing changes in the future, but you create that new branch timeline, which, even though they were trying really hard to not, 
they very much created different timelines based off just the events of the movie. So on top of that, how the timeline works, Dragon Ball Z, to use an example, is you can travel back in time as many times as you want and change as much as you want, but you will always go back to your future. There's no changing that. Now, for the alternate timeline, uh, of course, I said we have Gamora. Now, she died to get the Soul Stone back in Infinity War. But she was brought forward to the future with Thanos, which is a whole other can of worms to eat because... Tony snapped and got rid of all of Thanos' forces, and yeah. was Gamora included in that? Yeah, well, that's the kind of, I feel like they left that up in the open, because is she gone or is she not? And at the top of that, uh, at the end, when Thor joins the Guardians of the Galaxy, calling them the Asgardians of the Galaxy, they uh, have Star-Lord looking at a screen that's searching for Gamora. So that might tie into Guardians of the Galaxy 3. How that's going to go in line with the original script that James Gunn was doing, hard to say. Maybe yeah. had some sort of idea that they would have to do something along the lines of the full picture. But I'm very curious to see how that movie plays out. On top of that, when they go back in time to Battle of New York to get three of the Infinity Stones, Loki ends up making off with the Tesseract. Yep. Yes. Now, of course, they said that if they put everything back, time resettles. But if we're going at this based on what we've seen with the Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z rules of how the timeline works, that means there is a timeline out there where Loki is out roaming a free. And that ties into something else as well. The deviations of this other world. Loki is now never captured after the Battle of uh, New York, and because Thanos and his army goes forward in time to fight uh, in our current timeline, he doesn't exist in that old timeline anymore, which means Loki's in a universe where he makes off with the Tesseract and Thanos is not there to punish him. To be fair, the time is still a little bit iffy because Loki disappears in 2012 with the Tesseract, and it's not until 2014 that Thanos gets pulled to the future. So there's two years where Loki's probably getting tortured, and then Thanos is like, I'm gonna peace now and collect the other stones, because six of them are in the future and one of them's right here with me because I caught you with the Tesseract. It's gonna be a whole can of worms. Here's the thing, because definitely the, the branching timelines with this multiverse idea does open up so much for what-if stories. We have at least three major differences uh, branching-wise. So we have Thanos and his army going into the future, not coming back because they all die. We have a world where there's no Gamora or Nebula, and we also have a world where Loki escapes after the Battle of New York. That alone changes a lot of dramatic things. Like, of course, you can argue with the Loki thing. Things might still play out the same. Maybe he gets captured. But not having Thanos there means there's at least a timeline where the snap never happens. Yeah. There's nothing to resolve. So, one other thing to talk about with regard to this, because we're talking about Captain America jumping back and fixing and resettling things, creates for some very fun mental scenes to picture in my head. Because, for instance, one scene we get to all imagine together collectively right now is Asgard. Jane gets brought to Asgard because she has the ether inside of her. Rocket runs into her room, stabs her with a needle, pulls the ether out of her, runs away. Jane calls the guards. Guards chase after her. Then Jane, who is from Earth and knows Captain America, sees Captain America run into the room and jab her with the ether and inject it back into her and then disappear. Oh, yeah, I have a whole no. list of this of things that had to have happened when Cap went back in time to write but the timeline. Also at that point, the ether was in stone form, was it not? Yeah, It went from so, liquid to stone, so, and then he somehow turned it from a stone back to like the weird aether liquid type stuff to inject it back into her. Now, did he do that? Or did he just jam a stone down her throat? <laughs> I need you to eat this real quick. Fate of the universe. <laughs> the fact that several of the stones took different forms creates other scenes like that. Like, uh, Tony Stark breaks into the military base and steals the Tesseract in cube form and then transforms it into a stone to use in the Infinity Gauntlet. Then Captain America takes the stone and stretches it back out into a cube to put back at the uh, secret Hydra slash shield base at the time. 
and return the Tesseract? Oh, there's a much better one, too. He had to return the Soul Stone. Who's watching the Soul Stone? Red Skull. No one else in the series knew who the Red Skull really was. Cap definitely knows who it is. I want to, I want that scene. I want to see the conversation. That is what probably took him the longest on his well, whole trip back in time. Also, while we're talking about the whole Red Skull scene, can you return the Soul Stone? Because the whole thing is... Redstone isn't like holding on to this. A red skull isn't holding on to the soulstone, and he doesn't give it to you when you kill someone. Someone dies, and then you get teleported to a pool of light and water, and you have the soulstone in your hand. So what? Is Cap gonna go back and be like, uh, here you go, and just no. give the soulstone? I'm gonna give the soulstone to Red Skull, the guy yeah. I tried really hard to make sure didn't get the tesseract. The guy who's been talking about the fact that he guides others towards a treasure he can't yeah. have, as in. He really wants the Soul Stone, but can never have it, because and he's just going to be given it? He originally came to that place to get it himself. Maybe he's just acknowledging he doesn't love anything. But the beautiful thing about this, too, is I believe they mentioned after Infinity War that after Thanos got the stone, Red Skull was free. So does that mean that like when Cap goes back, no one's there, of course, but someone has to watch the Soul Stone? So does that mean by the act of, say, he throws the Soul Stone back into the pit? Does that mean Red Skull instantly gets teleported <laughs> back? Can you imagine... Trying your hardest in your normal life to collect a soul stone, specifically the Tesseract, you grab the Tesseract, get pulled away, performed into like a shell of a human being who is now watching over the soul stone. You watch it for, what is it, 50 years that passes between Red Skull disappearing and the events of Infinity War? Someone comes, takes it, I don't care in what timeline it is, whether it's uh, frigging... Hawkeye, or if it's Thanos, someone comes, takes the Soul Stone, you're free, you go away, you're like, oh, I'm free after 50 years. I'm gonna, like, go snort cocaine off of a hooker or something like that. <laughs> and then right as you're about to do it, poof, back on Vormir protecting the Soul Stone again. Yeah, because this thing, we know someone has to be watching the Soul Stone, and if he gets pulled back... But when the stone was originally put there, Red Skull wasn't there. There was no one watching the stone, potentially. That's true, but if we have, we have to assume someone's watching it, because Cap still lived out his life, which he wasn't the one doing it. Perhaps it just, like, choose it. Oh, I, I've got a theory now. I've got a theory about the MCU. Oh, let's hear this. Because what happened is Red Skull became too greedy, grabbed the Soul Stone, or grabbed the Tesseract, and was transported away to act as protector of the Soul Stone. Which means that perhaps someone was protecting it beforehand. Red Skull's punishment was he had to take over watch of the Soul Stone. Which means once he becomes freed... No one has to watch it. It's fine. Cap returns the Soul Stone. A random person who's in contact with one of the other Infinity Stones is now transported to watch it. Which means my what I really hope to happen is there's a separate timeline where the best day ever happens. Jane gets the Aether taken out of her by a rocket, sho shoved back into her by Captain America, and then teleported away to watch after the Soul Stone for all of eternity. And thus why we never see Jane again. <laughs> I feel like it's a convenient way to write her out of the story. And there's a few other things that are pretty funny with Cap traveling back through time. For example, he marries Peggy Carter in whatever timeline it is. We know for a fact, because it was mentioned in previous movies, that she marries someone that Cap saved from the Howling Commandos. Yep. Now, there's a few things that are difficult, because if Cap is actually alive in this timeline, and goes back every time that this happens, obviously that she marries Cap in every timeline. But, if that's the case... A few issues come up. He had to keep it secret all this time. She actively lied. So we have two possibilities. It's either this always happens, which changes some of the aspects of the timeline, or Cap literally stole somebody's girl. Or even better, he goes back and marries Peggy Carter as someone else, and Peggy Carter doesn't even know that she's I, married Cap. I feel Peggy. like that last dance scene proves that wholeheartedly that's not the fact. That's fair. But also, 
when he jumps forward to the future and finds Peggy in a hospital room, she's surprised to see him and talks about the fact that she never forgot him. So, in that timeline at least, he didn't go back and marry her, or at the very least, she didn't know he went back and married her. I mean, because it fits there, because like... I had a feeling something like this might happen when we knew time travel was involved. Just for the simple fact that there happens to be this blank spot in her memory that she can't really remember. And the way that he, like, not saying it gives away at the scene, but when he's talking about going back in time, Bucky's really like, I'm going to really miss you. It's like, you're going to be gone for five minutes. So I feel like Cap kind of talked about this, which makes me think that it is quite possible that in all the timelines, Cap will always end up going back in time with the stone, which means every universe actually technically has two Captain Americas at one point. I like, well... Only kind of, well, technically, yes, it does have two. But for most of those two timelines, one of them is frozen. Just for 50 years, one of them is frozen. And then the other one wakes up, and now he's got to be careful because the two of them could run into each other at any moment. Yeah, he has to be careful not to do anything that might uh, uncorrect the timeline, of course. Yeah. And that raises the question of the cap at the end. That could be the cap that left, and then he used the thing to come back to his time because we already established you can't kind of change the timeline. Or, because Cap goes back in every timeline, that could be a Cap that traveled into their timeline in the past to be with Peggy, and he knew that this is what I need to do, and then passed on the shield to Sam. Speaking of which, that felt weird to me. Just, I, I like Sam. Sam's fantastic character. I like the actor who plays Sam. I felt like that was not super earned of him getting <laughs> the shield from Captain America. I, if anything, I really wanted it to get, like, maybe returned to the Stark family. And then the daughter who eventually becomes Iron Man also has the Captain America shield. Because it was originally made by the Starks, given to Captain America by Tony uh, 50 years later. It's this whole situation that's been going on with his shield. I love the idea of Tony's daughter growing up and being kind of the physical embodiment of both heroes. And having the Iron Man armor and the Captain America shield and just being the most badass hero of all time. Oh, definitely. But I don't think they want to wait that long to introduce something like that. No. I think, out of that entire movie, the most badass hero of all time, that title currently goes with Captain America solely for the fact that he was able to use Mjolnir for a huge portion of the fight sequence. They the were end. building up for that for so long, and then when From, he's like... That was an end credit scene where Captain almost picked up the hammer, was it not? No, that was uh, actually at the beginning of Age of Ultron when they were all joking right, about who could right. pick up the hammer, and it wiggles a bit for it. Right, no, I, I, I was I, thinking about talking about the elevator picking up a hammer. Yeah, I think that Captain America probably was able to lift it up in that moment, and the moment he like felt it, he's such a good guy that he... like. Felt it like give a little bit, knew how this would ruin Thor, and he was like, "Oh no, guess I can't," and just kind of like walked away because he's just like he knew it would affect Thor in such a negative way if he could wield Mjolnir. It, it kind of plays into that idea too with the fact that he's like, "I knew it." Like when he saw it the first yeah. time, he's like, hmm, "I think he can lift it," but he might not, and he didn't want to talk about it because he was very fragile man at this time. And then he brings out his still held superiority complex where he hands. Captain America, Mjolnir, and it's like, you get the small one. <laughs> also, this does kind of fix Thor a little bit for me, just because when he does go back in time and he spends the whole time talking to his mother rather than solving the time paradoxes, at the end, when he, like, pulls Mjolnir, he takes that's a Another time iffy bit is because now Mjolnir's not in that world for Thor to use. Well, it depends on how long it is because it could be that if they bring it back close enough, it doesn't cause an issue and it could explain why it takes so long for hammers to get to Thor in certain moments. <laughs> but also, just that moment of him pulling Mjolnir to him, it's not because he wants to prove that he's still worthy. It's because he knows that Captain America's worthy <laughs> and wants to arm Captain America with an additional weapon. So they can actually fight Thanos, yeah. yeah. And 
honestly, that was probably the most exciting part in the movie, just Captain America. Like, it's you see the hammer raised, and it's like, well, it can't be Thor who's calling it, and just Captain America there, and he instantly takes this hammer, too. Like, one of the coolest moves is when he throws the shield, throws a hammer behind Thanos no, to knock him forward. Oh, oh nice yeah. callback to their first clash between Captain America and Thor in the woods, where they leveled all the trees in the well, area. There's even that with Tony's, too, uh, where his arms, uh, Iron Man suit opens up in the back, and he gets Thor to channel the lightning into the back to give yes. him the power boost. It's all these, like, combo moves that they had tried out once or twice like on accident and now they're fully like hammering at home because this is the fight that matters and, and honestly the part that i was surprised cause i never realized it before this movie was the first time we heard avengers assemble yeah that was like because they at the end of the first avengers they have tony go avengers and then they cut to black before anything else yeah it was cap with the new team is like yeah. avengers and then as he's about to say assemble it cuts to black and I didn't even clue in. It's like, man, we haven't heard Avengers Assemble at all. And then we hear it at this moment. Just the whole army comes out. Because up to this point, we just see Cap ready to face off against all of Thanos' army. And then you're on your left. <laughs> Which was another amazing callback to that scene where <laughs> Captain's literally <laughs> running laps around Sam. Also, that made me a little disappointed at the end when Sam came to approach old Captain while sitting on the bench. Because Captain was sitting on the right side of the bench. He could've Sam so could have easily walked said. up and said, on your left. <laughs> Another thing tying back to that, uh, if we do go under the uh, understanding that Bucky knew Cap was going to stay in the past, that also knew that Cap was going to give Sam the shield. That was fully understood from the beginning, and that's why he also didn't step forward. He told Sam to go up ahead, because he knew that was going to be the passing moment, and even passed on his acknowledging. It was his way of passing, like, I realize that while I had an important relationship with Captain America, or Steve at the time that my relationship happened, <laughs> I recognized that what you have and what happened, it's important for you to get the shield. And it was an important pass of the torch, not just from Steve, but also from Bucky at the same time. Speaking of Bucky, though, use the goddamn arm. He got the vibranium arm, and for two movies, he had a vibranium arm that he used to shoot guns real good. Yeah. Punch something real hard, for the love of God! There's another sad thing for me about the movie. Bucky shows up, he fires his gun for all of ten seconds, and that's all I see of him in the movie until the final scene. Oh, well, I think they definitely wanted to just focus on closing up the arc of Tony and Cap. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, there was a lot of cool setup scenes. Like, we had that really awesome scene with the nod towards A-Force with all the female heroes getting together, which is pretty cool. On top of that, there was a lot of possible setting up for a young Avengers team, too. Yes. Uh, so we get the fact that at the beginning of the movie... Hawkeye's daughter is shown to be really good at archery. He even calls her Hawkeye. They could be setting her up to take on a Kate Bishop-like role. We know there's a Hawkeye series. Maybe it's him training her. We yeah. also have Scott Lang's daughter Cassie is now growing up. And she, in the comics, also becomes uh, an Ant-Man-esque character. Goes by a few names. Stinger is one of the prominent ones. Where she also has Ant-Man powers. So that's setting her up. We also have Harley Kinner, who could possibly be Iron Lad. Yep. Because uh, they don't necessarily use the same characters from the comics, and he always has an established connection to the Iron Man character and Spider-Man. Yes. Right there, we have four characters. We could fill out a roster for Young Avengers. They've been led by a few of the prominent characters that are in the universe as well. Could be Captain Marvel. Could be AI Tony. I, just to, because you mentioned him, and I want to talk about Spider-Man because I love Spider-Man. Two spectacular moments with Spider-Man in this film. Point number one, his, like, return to Earth and, like, him... Just, I actually friggin' cried in the theater when he's like, Oh, Tony, you were like, the snap thing happened and all the dust was happening. And like, I guess I fell asleep and then I woke up. You were gone. I was like, oh, Peter, it's so okay. It's okay, Peter. I'm you, Peter, and it's okay. And then just like him, when he first falls to the ground with the Infinity Gauntlet and like the horde starts swarming him and he's like, 
Uh, insta-kill mode, turn on, and they just start dying immediately. It's just, like, so badass. Who would have thought insta-kill mode would just stab everything? <laughs> insta-kill mode, stab in the heart real good with your four different stabby arms. But yeah, that must have been incredibly confusing for Peter. Waking up back on that planet, all of a sudden, Cap Doctor Strange is like, we need to go now. And Peter's just there thinking, okay, we just, uh... Oh, wait, no, that wasn't on the planet, that was in the forest, but still. I just, it was, yeah. Something was happening, they lost, and then all of a sudden... We're needed right into combat once again. Yeah, well, Doctor Strange was with them too, and he was able to, he knew what everything was going on, so I feel like after he came back up, he was pretty quick about just rallying the forces. And, and another thing too, uh, where you're saying uh, that little teary moment uh, when you were uh, watching Spider-Man come back. For me, I actually had a moment like that too, but it gets so goddamn funny because I was holding it in for so like, I could feel like any moment it could be here. The moment that got me was, do you want anything to eat? Cheeseburgers! <laughs> Your father really liked cheeseburgers. I'll get you as many cheeseburgers as you want! Oh, God. <laughs> the, the breaking moment was cheeseburgers. Yeah. That or, like, another one that really got me was, like, Tony's recording at his own, hologram recording at his own funeral, when he, like, looks to his daughter and says, I love you 3,000. I was like, oh, God. Ah, so many emotions. <laughs> I don't like feeling emotions. That movie played with your emotions a lot. It starts you off on a nice, happy, calm note, which is surprising considering the end of the last Avengers movie. Yep. But then it just hits you with a truck when the snap happens and Hawkeye loses his family. And then you just go through this huge depressing moment where all the characters who are left are trying to cope with the changes in the world. Yeah, it's a very dark opening which goes into a lighthearted, like, time heist, as you will. To this just epic, like, let's paying get, off so much. Let's get the band back together, hilarious moments, the Hulk sitting in the back of a truck scraping against the ground. <laughs> One thing I loved about this movie is... One of the things about the MCU in the first 21 movies has been, it's been really good about undercutting tense moments with humor. And that, like, you see during Thor Ragnarok, you see the giant dog rushing towards the army about to destroy them. And Banner's like, oh, I got this. I'll show you who I am. And he jumps out and just dies on the bridge and then comes <laughs> back as Hulk. It's like they're really good about taking these tense emotional moments and cutting them with humor. And I love how they didn't do that so much in this movie. Like, they had humorous moments, but it was never, like, take a really dark moment and undercut it with humor. It's have a really dark moment, allow that dark moment to exist as it is, and then cut away to something else that's funny without undercutting or taking yeah, away from it, any of the seriousness And of it that. was never even an abrupt cut from the dark undertones to the lighthearted moments. It was always a natural progression. Yeah. Now, uh, with the movie coming to an end, obviously, we're going into Phase 4 as well, which is going to open up a bunch of new things. No one really has a solid idea of where we're going. But I have a fun question for both of you. What do you think the new Avengers roster is going to be with the characters we know are left? That's a good one. I... Obviously I'll, Sam, because... Yeah, Sam Sam's taken signals. up the mantle of Captain America. I think I'm pretty safe saying that. I think Hawkeye's out. I think Hawkeye's good. Now that he went through five years without his family, only to bring them back and losing Natasha in the process, I think Hawkeye's going to focus on his family. And probably like you predicted, he's going to get his daughter to the point where she can take up the Hawkeye mantle. I don't think Hawkeye's going to be too involved with the Avengers himself so much. Which is a shame, because I love Jeremy Renner. He's a fantastic actor. I feel like it'd go both ways from though, because they also spent a lot of this movie building up his character, which hasn't happened so much throughout the series. He's kind of just kind of been a side character, and he played a big part through all of this. I could see him if they have to build, bring back the Avengers roster. You have to think about it. It's like, who would be the leader of Avengers? What character has 
the experience and have the built-up character to lead them. I think Hawkeye would be a good candidate to be the next leader of the Avengers if they don't build it up to the next movie to have one of the new characters do it. Obviously, you'd want to say Captain Marvel would be the one that's set up to replace Captain. I think that makes sense, but where we are right now, I think Hawkeye would be the best person to do that. I can accept that in having Hawkeye less in like an active participant in the Avengers and more so in a like advisory capacity. Like a, or like I, a Nick Fury kind of role. Yeah. yeah. I don't think Captain Marvel is going to be at all involved with the Avengers. Like, I think she might get pulled in for Avengers-types movies, yeah. where it's all of them coming together. But I think they're going to have the same arguments uh, that they had in this one, which is that there's all of the Avengers on Earth, and then the rest of the universe, and Captain Marvel is going to, once again, continue to focus on the rest of the universe. Well, that's the issue with having a character that strong, too, is most issues get solved very easily with her so you need her for specifically the really big stuff so i don't think she's going to be too involved in the day-to-day going sounds of the avengers i definitely don't think she'll be in a leadership role i think she'll be the second string quarterback that they call in when they're down by 50 points to oh, make okay. a sports reference that both of you understand <laughs> kind of like when the movies were lower stakes like in the avengers and they called in thor who was the god at the time yeah, yeah. Uh, some other characters i've written down here that i think would be contenders for being in the main roster uh, Scarlet Witch, of course, doesn't yep. have a mainline series. She's always just kind of been an Avengers character. And now with Vision gone, I think it makes sense for her to... Uh, War Machine, Rhodey's still around. Yep. He hasn't been doing much except being Avengers since yeah, end of Age of Ultron. Plus, he's already kind of been working in that kind of advisory leadership capacity in that, like, he was the one walking around kind of dealing with Avengers home base after everyone left with Captain America. And yep. then he was deeply involved when Natasha was in charge. He kind of seemed like her number two. So yeah. I think it makes sense to have him kind of be in that leadership type position. And, and of course, we have Spider-Man who became an Avenger uh, in I the last movie. I am fully on board with Spider-Man being deeply involved. I love Spider-Man. For a few uh, other questionable ones. Well, uh, not questionable for this one. Hulk, I feel like, is still going to stick around. Yeah, although I think he's going to stick around. Once again, I think he's one of those ones who's less... Yeah. Active combatant, more strategist type situation. And then yeah. one I had here is a maybe character is Black Panther. Now, Black Panther definitely a popular character. I would love to see him in like a team up situation, but at the same time, I see him as more of being a backer, like bankrolling the Avengers, maybe have their base in Wakanda, but I don't see him actively being part of the team. Yeah, yeah he's got... he still has Wakanda to run. He's, yeah, he is their king right now. It's kind of the same issue with Doctor Strange. Like, yeah, Doctor Strange would be a good addition to the team, but he's got a lot of other things that specifically needs to be worried about constantly. Yep, the Sorcerer Supreme and all that. Speaking of which, I'm just going to keep jumping back to points in the movie that were super interesting to me. Now that we're talking about Doctor Strange, when Hulk goes back in time and has his whole uh, discussion with the Ancient One about taking the Time Stone, and like her acknowledgement five years before he's become Doctor Strange of like he's going to be the greatest one of all of us. I know this is coming, and I'm building ourselves up in such a way that he can be the greatest one amongst yep. us. And it's just... And her shock at finding out from Bruce Banner that he he'd... gave the Time Stone to Thanos. Willingly to Thanos. Yeah, it's like there has to be a reason for it. Yeah. They even kind of allude that in the Doctor Strange movie too, where uh, before she dies, she even mentions like she could see everything and she saw up to this moment, but never beyond it. Right. So it gives out the idea that like the whole time she knew how the, everything with Doctor Strange would play out mm -hmm. and she was actively working towards it. Which raises an interesting point of the Time Stone's powers. And maybe it doesn't allow you to see the future, but more so your future. So she saw herself, she saw herself interacting with Doctor Strange, and that's why she couldn't see beyond her own death because she didn't exist in that future. So the time around you and stuff. Yeah, so you can only see the time around you, which is probably affects what Doctor Strange was seeing in all of his visions of the future. 
is he was seeing up until the moment Thanos won and then not seeing anything else and having to figure out how exactly to best set people up. Right, which is why he wasn't terribly worried when the time came to give, o- give over the stone to Thanos because he saw that essentially as soon as the snap happens to him, he'd be right back into the fray. Exactly. Which, yeah, which brings like the interesting kind of his perspective on events is he sees himself giving the stone to Thanos, he sees himself fading away, and then he sees himself fighting with Thanos again, and which is why he never gave super specific instructions to Tony about how to go about things. Mm-hmm. He just knows if this is what we do beforehand, then we come back, and that's the only way we win. There's never a point where I don't die, but there are situations where I die and then come back. And, and how best to set up that situation. Yeah. And I do want to touch a little bit on that at the end when Tony asks Doctor Strange in the middle of the fight, so is this the one method that you saw that will give us the win? And Doctor Strange is like, if I tell you now, we were not going to win. And he saves it to that specific moment where he yeah. just holds up the one finger to let him know, and that's when because, Tony knows that what he has to do. Because, sure, in any situation where someone sees how to obtain the win, there's always that age-old trope, I guess, that if I tell you how you're going to do it, you're not going to actually do it. You're going to try your best to achieve that goal, but doing that is ultimately going to cause something else to happen. Yeah, it's the knowledge. If he knew that doing ABC would cause him to win, he would do ABC differently than if he didn't know what would do to win, but he saw ABC as his best chances, so he put all of his efforts into ABC. Yeah. And when Doctor S- when Tony Stark asked Doctor Strange if they were going to win, he couldn't say yes, because then that would give potentially Tony Stark the false hope that, all right, things are going to turn out great, we're going to win. Would not, at that point, willingly sacrifice himself. No matter what I do, I'm invincible! Yeah, if he thought they were going to win, he wouldn't sacrifice his life. He had to believe that the only way to win would be to sacrifice himself. And if mm-hmm. Doctor Strange told him that five years ago, he would have spent those five years not accepting that, but more so trying to think of a way around sacrificing himself. Yeah, and so when Tony sees the moment where Thanos is about to end it all, he looks over to Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange holds up the one finger, and Tony realizes, okay, this is the final endgame. I also love the theories I've, and like the memes I've seen online of people just implying that Tony heavily misinterpreted that one finger <laughs> of like, just wait one second, we'll be able to do it in a moment. And Tony's like, oh, this is a mob one shot? Snap. You only need to steal one stone from his gauntlet. <laughs> you steal one stone, he can't do it. Okay, I got one chance to snap. <laughs> okay, so I just gotta steal all the stones, guys. You only have to snap away Thanos. <laughs> or even better, he's not holding up one finger to say one or some way. He's holding up one finger to say, go up, Thanos can't fly, just get the stones into the air. <laughs> <laughs> Thanos will chase you across space and time, but he can't chase you up. Especially <laughs> since his ship is now broken, thanks to Captain Marvel. <laughs> oh man, uh, we, we need that scene in uh, Doctor Strange too. <laughs> I tried to tell him to go up, but he didn't. <laughs> It's the classic, like, uh, Lord of the Rings, fly, you fools! He was telling them to fly to Mordor! (laughs) Not run really fast. Who thinks flying means run really fast? Come on. (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, But on top of that, I feel an aspect of the time travel itself, I feel like they handle it in such a way that it doesn't feel like it breaks the universe and time traveling fix everything now. And they also, in a way, got rid of the time stones for now, because if you read the comics, you know they don't truly go away forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they dealt with it in a, a good way. But I f- there are some things they still left open, I find, shown by the fact that Gomorrah could still be out there 
they can pull people from time. For example, the characters that are dead as of the end of this movie uh, right now still are, we have Black Widow, who died for the stone, Gamora, who died for the stone, both from the original timeline. We have the original Loki, who died to Thanos, and also Heimdall. All four of them, definitively dead, on top of you know Iron Man and then Cap being an old man now. But there's nothing there preventing them from being able to pull characters from just before their death or in certain times without affecting their timeline. If Gamora is still around, who's to say that Loki won't show up at some point uh, due to the fact that his timeline is deviated in that other universe or even pulling back a Black Widow at some point. I don't I, think they're going to do that soon because it very undercuts what happened to her, but the possibility is still there of just pulling characters back now. Yeah, because that was one of the weird things is when you listen to Red Skull talk about it, that's supposed to be, like, the sacrifice for the Soul Stone is supposed to be final, that's it, they're gone. Yeah. So the fact that Gamora is able to exist in that timeline again opens up a whole bunch of different windows of possibility for other characters. One thing I really like is the idea that sacrificing to the Soul Stone doesn't end your life, it kind of transforms your existence. And we could even see them come back in a completely different form, like the Eternals from the comic books, having Black Widow and Gamora come back in that form given that they've now been sacrificed to the Soul Stone. There's nothing to say that they're gone completely, just that as the characters of Gamora and Black Widow, they're gone. As the original Gamora and Black Widow, because Gamora kind of completely fucks up that idea now that Gamora's back. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they're not going to bring back the original timeline ones, so all those moments that happened before, whenever they pulled them back to then, so the current Gamora didn't experience the events of Guardians 1 or 2. Yeah. Uh, Anything that was world building with her, uh, Peter Quill. And she even says, like, that's the one. It's like, your options were that in a tree. Such a rough time for Peters in these films because Peter Quill has the whole, <laughs> he spent two mi mi movies convincing a woman he loves to love him back only for her to be snapped away, or not snapped away, thrown off a cliff to get a stone. And then he was like, well, I, I've got hope now. We can go back in time. Or Rocket has hope because Peter died as a part of the snap. Comes back, he's like, oh, other people came back from a, as a part of the snap. Is Gamora back? He sees Gamora, he's like, yes, this is all right. And she kicks him in the nerds and it's just like, <laughs> all right, I guess I gotta go through two more movies of convincing you that I'm an all right person to love again. <laughs> You've really taken these Peter slides thrilling to heart. It's hard not to when you're a Peter to see Peters go through hard times. <laughs> Seems our Peter's not feeling too good. <laughs> One lost love of his life and one lost their father figure. <laughs> Alright, did you guys have anything else you wanted to talk about with regards to Endgame? I don't know, with that, I guess the really the only thing left to say is, do you think this is what our podcast is about, Endgame? Uh, well, we had a lot to talk about it. I don't... Uh, this doesn't be... quite sit finally with me, I guess. To be honest, I've talked a lot about Endgame and don't know if I could fill up many more podcasts talking about Endgame. I, I mean, think I might be out of stuff to say about Endgame. To be fair, there'll be Marvel movies for the end of time, so we'll always have something to talk about. But I feel like hitting it on the first will go, probably not the best one. I think we can definitively say our podcast is not about Endgame, but we might rev uh, review that in the future and decide whether or not it's about Marvel movies in general. That might be a thing. That's possible. Um... So with that being said, uh, for all of you out there listening, if you know what our podcast is about, or maybe just have an idea that we should try out, please uh, let us know, because we clearly have no clue what it's about, and yeah. would love it if someone told us. Please help, we, we really need to figure this out. Uh, so if you would like to tell us, feel free to shoot us an email at whatismypodcast at gmail.com. Oh, sorry, whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. Uh... Spelled the way words are normally spelled. No dots, no capitals, all that fun stuff. 
And make sure to tune into our next episode, and maybe we'll find out exactly what the podcast is about. We might beat you to the punch and decide for ourselves what the podcast is about. Uh, hopefully not, because then that would mean our podcast is essentially done. I mean, we really need to find out a topic in well, like, the next bit, because we need to put another one out eventually, and I don't know if they'll wait. So please send in as quick as you can. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And to be fair, Matt, that wouldn't be the end of the podcast. It would just... I, we would diverge. It would no longer be what's my podcast it would be about, or what's my podcast about. The podcast would just become... My podcast is about Teletubbies. Also, topic for next time, Teletubbies. (laughs) I can't wait. (laughs) 